The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. The one-two pitch, ball line to Yout, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air... Yount makes a great catch, and Juan Diemus has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history. Swings, and here it is! A base hit in the right center. He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well, and it's gone! Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw and the Brewers win. The Brewers are moving on on a base hit by Nigel Morgan. Here it is. Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up, get up, get out of here and go for Yelich. You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder, and me. Adam McGee. So we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers for the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast. We've made it uh, seven days into the Major League Baseball season in 2022. Six games in, the Milwaukee Brewers are three and three. Uh, the sky is not falling. Things are at a at a level setting, and, and we're ready to move on to the rest of the season. First of all, uh, Adam, how you doing? I'm doing great. Um, Looking forward to a Brewers home game uh, on, of course, 414 day, uh, 414 start. And it's probably worth right up top before anyone can duck out or isn't listening. Anyone who is listening, if you're a member of the GSPN Discord that we have, you will already notice. But we are hosting a playback tonight. Playback is a platform where we have a virtual room where everyone can watch the game in sync. We will be up on quote-unquote stage talking throughout the game. It'll be me, Andrew, and I believe we're going to have a couple extra of our Eurostep Podcast Network uh, teammates with us. It's great fun. We've been doing this a lot um, between our books pods over the past few months. It's great to be up there. It's kind of just watching the game. Some friends, we'll chat through it. The chat's always very active. We interact back and forth, and we're pretty excited about it and excited about seeing 
a Brewers home game. So if that sounds like something you might be interested in to watch the, the Brewers opener, if you're not already in the Discord, all you got to do, send a screenshot of you listening to this podcast or a screenshot of a five-star rating review. Send it to me and we'll, we'll do everything we can to get you in in time for the game today so you can watch along with us if you'd like to. But just to get that up front so everyone knows everyone has the opportunity because we're excited about it, right, Andrew? It should be, should be fun. We're very excited. Uh, you know, on my lunch break today, I'm headed to the grocery store. I want to find, you know, no free ads, but we, I might give a free no, ad. No local... free ads. You're going to find some uh, some local themed beverages that people in the Milwaukee area can relate to. Is that where you're going with this? Exactly. I'm looking for, I'm going to the grocery store and doing probably the only thing any or the only time anyone in North Carolina has ever done this in a Harris Cedar and say, do you have a local Wisconsin brew? And I'm going, I'm going to see what I can find, but uh, I'm looking forward to that. Should be a good time. You, uh, everyone can see that even six games into this um, experiment, how stressed out I get over these baseball games, because can we, can uh, we just start there? Can we start there on the stressful nature of these games? Cause obviously you're finding it stressful. I'm finding it stressful. I'm going to assume everyone else listening is finding it stressful. Cause this is just kind of this team. Right now, it seems like even if this team ends up being really good and having a good season, they might make it hard on themselves nine nights out of ten, and there's going to be a lot of this. Does that seem fair? So far, it does, because the only game that was comfortably in hand early was a loss, a 9 nothing <laughs> loss to the Cubs. You've got Which two, like five, to never four speak wins. About again. Correct. Uh, I'm blocking it out of my mind. But a couple of 5-4 wins and a 4-2 win, I believe, and all of them got into positions late that were stressful. And uh, so to, to look forward, we'll go back a little bit, uh, you know, coming off two out of three games lost to the Chicago Cubs. Uh, we noted it's important to take advantage of the next opponent on the schedule, and that was the Baltimore Orioles, who at the time were the only team yet to record a win on the MLB season. And lo and behold, in game one of the series against the Milwaukee Brewers, they come and get their first uh, win of the season. And I think this series is great because it's indicative of, or the trends continued that we had been talking about through the first series and even before the season. So it's almost like each game is a microcosm about some of the things we were excited about uh, going into the season and also some things that we were concerned about and some things we didn't even see coming, but keep, keep becoming a trend as the season begins. So Game one against Baltimore was Adrian Hauser making a season debut against uh, left-hander Bruce Zimmerman. And I say left-hander and highlight that uh, because it's important because it's clear that Craig Council is going to mix and match his lineups based on the starting pitcher uh, this season. And and that was a trend again. So out goes Lorenzo Kane, out goes Rowdy Tellez, um, out goes Jace Peterson, out goes Omar Narvaez. In comes Victor Caratini at catcher, Mike Brasso at third base, Keston Hira at first base, and Tyrone Taylor in center field. Uh, but what was interesting about this game is the platoon split uh, extravaganza did not only um, did not only focus on the starting lineup. It again appeared in game. We get Rowdy Tellez pinch hitting for Hira at one point when a right-hander was on the mound. Michael, Michael Bauman was the first uh, player to relieve um, Zimmerman. And then late in the game, in a big spot where you might need a, a double to the gap, which Rowdy has shown he could do with regularity to begin this season, Lorenzo Kane pinch hits. 
and uh, hits into a double play. The Brewers lose this game 2-0. Adrian Hauser struggles with command and ha- shows the the walk issue that Brewers pitchers ha- have seen to start the season. Three and two-thirds innings, four hits, two runs, both earn three walks, three strikeouts, and the Brewers end up losing the game 2-0. But back to the issue at hand, especially I want to talk to you about this because what Council's doing is both a mix of in theory, advanced analytics, but also just old-school baseball orthodoxy. When a lefty's on the mound, you want a right-hander at the plate. They've got a big power lefty bat coming in, bringing a left-handed pitcher. What What are you making of all this mixing and matching? And do you think that, at least early, especially in this game, uh, Council's taking it to a point where, you know, the risk-reward's not really there? This, to me, to cross sports with an analogy has been very Pep Guardiola in the Champions League semi-final, the kind of moves. It's it's overthinking it way too much, way too much. Now, Rowdy was the, the player that we talked about in this regard off the back of the last series, and you pointed out that there is barely any disparity between his, his return hitting against left-handed pitchers or right-handed pitchers. So there is something just of automatic, oh, he's left-handed, right-handed pitcher, or he's left-handed, left-handed pitcher, and that's informing the decision-making, which is bizarre to me. Now, I guess part of that is, like, when you're saying it's this mix between kind of old-school and new-school, is it is it new-school thinking, but without actually looking at the numbers? <laughs> is, that, is that what it's boiling down to here? Because, I mean, there are kind of headline players that I guess we could focus on, and certainly uh, we have seen, and we'll, when we talk through the games, I, we'll be able to pinpoint the moments where it feels like, uh, is he going to take Rowdy out here and bring in a right-hander to pinch hit? And then he doesn't, and you're like, okay, like finally the penny has dropped. He has figured this one out. But I, I really, I'm struggling with it. It seems nonsensical to a degree to me. There's obviously just regular kind of rotation changes you want to make to keep guys fresh anyway. And you're going to try and pick your spots to suit the best. But I mean, there have been a few decisions that have puzzled me. One other, maybe there's not a whole lot to read into it other than you have a guy who wasn't with the team for spring training and you're trying to get him up to speed as quickly as possible. But we're seeing a lot of Caratini, more Caratini than Narvaez, which is also a little surprising, albeit for slightly different reasons, potentially. Um, But certainly Rowdy was the one where he's one of, three brewers to have a home run so far this season he's certainly the the person who is showing like signs of legitimate power when he gets to the plate he's just seeing the ball really well he's he's managing to get on base with real regularity he's driving runs home and when the rest of your team is struggling to the extent it is it's not necessarily like you're taking him out you're stopping for a right-hander and it's like oh well this guy is hitting it just as well. So we can make that change because we're, it's like if, if you don't have someone who can come in and feel like they're playing as well as he is, I think in that kind of scenario, you've maybe got to give in to some of the, okay, do we want lefty v lefty? It's not ideal. But first and foremost, I think you've got to have guys out there that you're confident that they can hit right now. And the Brewers aren't overflowing with guys who look like they're in a rhythm and they're going to, manage to get on base and that they're going to manage to bring home runs so with that it's certainly an interesting uh interesting element that's coming in when we're seeing kind of as close to all lefty lineups then switching to righty lineups 
I'm finding it strange. That's the best way I put it. I'm I understand the basics of the thought process, but I don't know how Craig Council is working through it and arriving at the conclusion that he is for all of these decisions. It's kind of too much of a a, a broad brushstroke, right? It's like maybe there's you could change out three or four guys where that makes sense, but there might be one or two where you say, no, in spite of what we feel, you know, could be a disadvantage. This is someone that we just don't want to have out or can't afford to have out of the lineup right now. Yeah, I think it's contextual for me. And I mean, the I think I was looking at some statistics in the Tampa Bay race last year, I think had the third most played appearances in baseball where they had the platoon advantage that Kevin Cash mixes and matches his lineups based on data. And they did it to a hundred games, but the, it's just the, it's not adding up in some of the areas here. And I know I'm probably, I think you and I are probably higher on rowdy than maybe like uh, the baseball industry scouting is just because it, in his career until he got to the Brewers, he had been seemed like an okay bench bat occasional starter at first. Whereas I, I think him coming into his age, like 27, 28 season, uh, where he seemed like something really clicked for him at the end of the last season with the Brewers and he became a key cog in this lineup. I would like to get a few months into the season before we blanketly say he doesn't start against left-handed pitching. Like, mm-hmm. I think you, I, I want to get to June, July. What's, what's Rowdy looking like? Especially, it, it would have been one thing in that scenario if Andrew McCutcheon weren't starting that day and you were coming a big spot against a left-hander and Andrew McCutcheon absolutely matches left-handed pitching. But Lorenzo Cain... Uh, struggled with left-handed pitching last year and it's just not the player he once was still an important part of this Brewers team it just it just didn't add up and I I don't want him out of the lineup uh to this point one thing that would really uh the, I kept thinking about this during the game and I was like it, it would have been awesome it would be awesome if Keston Kira could play third base because that would solve a lot of this because that would get his bat into the lineup um but once uh, Luis Urias is back, we won't be thinking about that as well. But it's just interesting, and especially from the perspective of coming from another sport where you can make that cross-sport cons- uh, comparison and you, you see Pep starting 11 and you're like, uh, w- what's going on? Like, <laughs> but It's even to your, to your rowdy point, it's not to take it as in the overall view of him as a player, what he is to the importance of the team. Like, I'm, I'm not thinking of it like that at all right now. You just got to look at how guys are playing right now and you're not looking to kind of fall behind the eight ball. You don't have a whole lot of offense. I would assume you've got to kind of logically be just look at me like, who can I trust to hit? Who's going to give us a chance to score in these games? Who's going to even more so? And I mean, we talked the offense before we even got into the season on our preview and it being one of our concerns. Honestly, the pitching has been dicey. Um, certainly some of those guys have been going through it as they, they get their feet wet and start the season. We're probably seeing some of the effects of the lockout and the shortened spring training, but you want to relieve some of the pressure on them as well by just getting some runs going. And we've seen it. It's if you can get any kind of offense, even in some of the games where they have had some pitching, I was like, with the exception of that game, we will not speak about again. It wouldn't have taken much for the Brewers to win any of these games. And with that in mind, I think you've got to look at it. Who have you got right now? And it comes back to, you pointed out in the last the last podcast, but we're, we're talking like maybe 
tiny, tiny margins. I can't remember exactly. It was a tiny margin between what, what Rowdy is hitting against left-handers and against right-handers. So that's one where it's just like, it's it feels so broad. It feels like such a general move that it's just, you're taking these guys out, you're bringing these guys in. And look, it's early in the season, so you can do that. But I think they would also like to not dig a hole for themselves early and leave themselves a lot of work to do. Like overall, my feel for it, I know they haven't had the most stellar opposition so far, but road trip to start the season, 500 records so far, doesn't seem like the worst. I mean, 500 road trips are generally like fine. You're not going to get excited about them, but if you're if you're doing that over the course of the season and then you're able to take care of business and win more games at home, that's the that's the basis of building a really good team with a really good record, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think especially because I think there's gonna be a there's a little been a lot of weird kind of starts to the season already because this is basically what should be start six and seven in spring training for a lot of these starting pitchers. That's why I'll, that is a large reason why. I am not concerned about some of the issues we've we've seen with the pitching just because it's a weird spot. But there were some positives from game one in the series. Uh, before that, I, I'll uh, finish with the negatives. 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. Nine runners left, left on base. That's going to lead to a 2 nothing loss. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon with another extra base hit. Uh, Tyrone Taylor, who got the start over Lorenzo Cain, hit a double and made two exceptional catches in center field. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one in the first inning was particularly – uh, exceptional line drive just hit extremely hard over his head Th- those are tough to judge when the ball's coming right at you you don't know to go in or go back he goes back makes a spectacular catch so taylor looked good uh the aforementioned keston hero went one for two during his brief time in the lineup so uh you know one of the benefits of the mixing and matching is getting him bad head bats and hopefully gets him going uh christian yelich a single and a walk the man's getting on base uh And, you know, that's always nice to see. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. 
But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Uh, but one thing that I think will be a topic towards the end of this podcast, or at the very least on future podcasts, um, someone that has been a real bright spot to begin this season, Adam Aaron Ashby, as a multi-inning bullpen arm today, uh, three and a third innings pitch, two runs, two walks, four strikeouts. He's being inserted into the starting rotation for this next series. But uh, Adam, uh, I think Aaron Ashby is one of the more exciting uh, parts of this start to the season for the Brewers. And I think he can be a real weapon in however council uh, tries to season. What are your thoughts on how Ashby's look so far? Just really tidy, really polished and very little drama or stress when he's been in games, which is not something that could be said about basically all of the, the other pitchers um, that have been in the games for the Brewers at this point in the season. My one question mark over Ashby is more what happens when you take him out of the bullpen and when he comes into your starting rotation, particularly as we have seen up to this point in the season, the Brewers have needed, desperately needed, and arguably haven't had enough at times in some of these games for the holes they've they've dug for themselves, some cleanup guys. And even for some of their their better pitchers, Devin Williams will get to it's been a roller coaster couple of days for for Devin Williams uh, we've seen the best and the worst I guess of what comes with that and you need some just kind of steady hands you can rely on to go and clean things up now we saw better outing from Jay Cousins in this series uh, Brent Suter was pretty solid when we last saw him do you feel though if Ashby becomes kind of a a regular starter, a sixth starter, is there enough there? Um, even more so, I know it's something we'll get to later, but some of the quotes that came in after Devin Williams having a very shaky night last night where you know he's tired and he obviously had to pitch a relatively long inning the night before of his own creation, and he had to go even longer before he was pulled last night. So that means, okay, you go into the home opener and you're not going to see him. I'm going to guess you don't see Hayter either, who's two nights in a row. Am I right on that? Would there be scenarios where you'll see a closer three, three nights in a row? Uh, there would, but I doubt this season or in, in April. Um, Without I think spring training what, too. But that's, yeah. that's, that's my concern with Ashby is like he's clearly very good and he's, he looks kind of most dialed in maybe of all of their pitchers. Hayter might be the only person I'd counter with to start the season. Like he he just hasn't really had the shaky moment like some of the others have had. So what does it do if he becomes a regular ongoing starter? Maybe it's something you can just pick your spots. But right now, while the bullpen are still working some things out, it does it weaken them? Does it cause concerns for you about middle innings if Ashby is now a starter? Um I'll it does not cause concern for me because I, I don't think there was will be as many of those situations where 
the starters out in the fourth inning as there were early in the season. I think Woodruff and I, I, well, I, I think Woodruff and Peralta in particular will, you know, start completing five, completing six. And I do think that if Ashby is in the rotation long-term, whether I don't like, I don't like it being in that sixth spot, first of all, because like you said, it removes one of those arms from the bullpen. And then you also get fewer Corbin Burns and, Freddie Peralta and Brandon Woodruff starts. I know you want to preserve innings, but you I think, think it do you think it will work like that? So he's if, if in, in terms do... of the order, he's jumping Lauer for this series. So is there a chance that we see Lauer move into more of a bullpen role towards the back end of this series, kind of skip a series as a starter and come back around? Could they do something like that? They could do something like that. And that's the only way where I think it makes sense. Because if you just go straight straight up six man rotation and have everybody pitch everybody six today and that in theory, preserves the arms of Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, but also gets them into a routine that they've never done at the big league level and makes them throw fewer starts throughout the season. I think that makes your team worse because you're you're not getting as many outings from your three workhorses. Um, and you, you probably have to work Suter, Boxberger, Williams, and Hayter a whole lot more as well in those scenarios. Yeah, like if if this is a situation where Ashby or Lauer are both taken out of like potential bullpen outings, then I think it won't work. So you know we've I've seen teams do that in the past, and you know it wasn't great. But if it's a situation where you know Lauer's getting skipped on Sunday, maybe he throw like on his on his bullpen day where you would normally throw a bullpen like as an aside if that's in game action which is something that it does happen from time to time and then vice versa with ashby and they're kind of just you know getting lauer and ashby on this kind of schedule where one day a week they're in the bullpen then on that like next scheduled day the other guys go in and they kind of like either flip-flop or i mean i i honestly think lauer and ashby are, are an interesting a uh, combination for like a piggyback situation where, you know, the plan is uh, each guy goes three innings to give you kind of that bridge. And then they're also both available on a bullpen day. So it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. But to your point, uh, you know, Lauer struggled his, his first outing, which we'll get get into. But I, I just think what Ashby has shown in that kind of Swiss army knife role in the middle of games is kind of like a, like, a Winston Wolf, like you've got a mess and you need someone to clean it up. And uh, here's Aaron Ashby to come in and, and do the job. I think that is a very valuable role. And I think, uh, knock on wood, when we get to the postseason, I think that's exactly how Ashby will be used. And I think it's going to be uh, a huge weapon for Council to have at his disposal. For sure. And I mean, Lauer struggled. So did Hauser. <laughs> I mean, so did everyone first first time around, except maybe. Peralta and as we said there was even there were moments in there but uh, he had probably the cleanest game of the bunch um, in terms of their first starts of the season I don't know I personally like it's also if you're going to make any changes like that and you're going to divide guys up I like over the course of the season is it Lauer who even if him and Ashby then end up kind of splitting some games is that the way you go is Hauser so clear of Lauer that you're going to do that does Hauser kind of come in the mix and we see those tree guys work out their own kind of rotation as the year goes on where there is kind of some changes there. I I don't, I don't know, but 
there's a clear hierarchy for me where obviously there's the, essentially the three aces and then you've got where you go behind that. I'm, I'm not so far seeing enough that I feel like, oh, well, it's clear that Hauser shouldn't also be in that mix or that it's, it should be more, but it's, it goes back to what we're talking about with the bats too. I think one of the things that I would feel, and I know you're managing a long season, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Gotta, gotta take things like on form and judge performance. And if, if Lauer is looking great for a while, well, obviously you're going to factor him in, maybe cut back a little bit on how much you see a Hauser and uh, bring Ashby in like Ashby started well. So I, I like seeing that he is going to get a start off the back of that. That makes sense. But I feel they have enough good options that if they're kind of managing starts and if they're managing bullpen roles based on performance, that's great. Like that's how you should be doing it. And I'll have no problems with that. Um, it's just as we're in the early stages, maybe we need to see a little bit more and see some of the decisions to go in to get a full feel on if that is what they're doing. Yeah, and I think we'll get a clearer sense of that uh, once Monday's starting pitcher has been named. It is good to have options because, like, in terms of talent level and the performance, we know all those three pitchers are capable of. They've got three really good options to build out the back half of that rotation, no matter how the season shakes out. And I will know note that uh, podcast favorite and someone I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, Ethan Small, has a one, two, three ERA and two starts in Nashville. 11 strikeouts and seven and a third innings. So he's also somebody who could come in at a certain point and be a bullpen arm or make a spot start. So educate me just on the dynamics of that. So when I think of, I'm trying to think of other pitchers we see make appearance. I think the only one we haven't mentioned who's made an appearance so far for the Brewers this season is Urania. Um, and it's probably for good reason. It's not a coincidence that we haven't mentioned. Oh, Trevor Gott did too. Trevor Gott actually looked good, and he was warming up late last night, certainly when the wheels were coming off, and there, there was a chance that he could have found himself in that game. Given the workloads of Williams and Hayter, I imagine we'll see Trevor Gott at some point tonight. Uh, yeah, that, w- that would make sense. But, for example, if there's not a whole lot of fate in Urania, can they just be like, oh, Eaton Small started the season well. We're going to turn to him and look to fill some of those roles or in a developmental kind of like do teams in baseball really lean heavily on he's a starting pitcher we want him to get starts at minor league level as opposed to coming up and being a part of the bullpen and having to throw him into a role that he's not even necessarily getting his reps at at the lower level at a, at a higher level then seems like something where you could be asking for for trouble and kind of tossing a guy in at the deep end it's a little bit of both. I think if there's no defined role for small at, at the big league level, I think they would prefer to see him stay in the minor leagues and continue working as a starter. But um, I mean, Ashby's the example, like he is a starting pitcher by trade and he's been used as a bullpen arm. We've seen situations um, where longtime starting pitcher um, David Price when he first got his taste of big league action, the Rays used him at the end of the season as kind of an eighth inning, ninth inning guy. So uh, it's something for small, it's probably something that would more come in, into play at the end of the season. It's like, okay, you've gotten most of a minor league season with starts under your belt. Um, you're not going to get into the rotation, but we kind of want to have you as an option in the playoffs. Let's, let's get you some outings out of the bullpen into the season to kind of see if we can find a role for you there. Um, I, d- I don't know if, 
Urania has any options left if he's able to be sent to the minors. Um, I, I should do some digging on that to see what his contract status is. But if there were a situation uh, that wasn't injury related where you were looking to uh, bring someone up from Nashville to to fill a pitching role, he would seem like the uh, the most likely option to be the odd man out in that situation. I mean, if we're going to see him again anytime soon, probably a good chance would be tonight. Just in terms of the amount of guys that they're going to have to to give the night off to. A lot of it's going to depend, like, uh, obviously we don't want to talk too much about the last time we saw uh, Brandon Woodruff and how that game went, but hopefully he has a bounce back in line with what Corbin Burns did. And then you don't have to worry about it as much, you know, where if there's another rough night where he's got to come out after three or four innings, it could get a little hairy if they don't have Devin Williams and Josh Hader to turn to late in the game. But and possibly Boxberger can... too. Oh, yeah. First of all, I, I want to say that Boxberger has been absolutely nails this season, mm-hmm. and we'll get into that. Uh, particularly as we talk a little more about game three of this series. Uh, but you can watch us react to whatever happens tonight live on playback. Uh, game two, Adam, was just as stressful as every other game this season, but uh, it came out with the good guys ahead. Uh, the Brewers got the, uh, the scoring done early uh, in the first inning. Uh, Willie Adamas single, Christian Yelich, he gets on base, draws a walk, Andrew McCutcheon, two-run double to make it 2 nothing Brewers in the first uh, then things got a little a little nerve-wracking uh, in the second inning. Lauer, two walks on a hit-by-pitch with two outs in the second. Cedric Mullins, Grand Slam, who had a really good series for the Orioles. I think at one point they had had six runs driven in, and he had driven in all six. I mean, Yeah, it, it was it was the Brewers against Cedric Mullins. Like, to be uneven, <laughs> there were a couple of their misses in there, too. Uh, one in this game, I feel, late on, where you hit the fence and – that, that could have been that, but that's in terms of the Orioles being a team that for me, I'm like, okay, let's look at this team I know nothing about. Um, obviously, Cedric Mullen's resume at this point, Silver Slugger last year, right? Um, certainly kind of lines up with him having this kind of role, but he was really impressive. And I, one thing I was thinking that I wanted to ask you on him Obviously, he's one of the better players. He's one of the bigger threats on that team. So you're going to expect he's a guy who can get away from you. Is there also some concern, though, when game to game, it seems like he's getting what he wants and you're, you're not getting anywhere with that? How do you generally view the dynamics of that as a series goes on against someone who is kind of a star hitter, someone who can really do damage with the bat if just every single time you've got no answers for it obviously there's an increased probability of that happening the better a guy is but i would also think it's a real point of emphasis on what can we do to slow him down and this series isn't close like i think the, the brewers aren't scoring any more runs but they would have been cruising to pretty easy games if it wasn't for him so is that something that you just in baseball are gonna say yeah fine that's how it is he's the guy you're gonna expect to hit or is there an element of, yeah, you would see like to see a little bit more in terms of stopping him? I mean, you mentioned Boxberger. I think Box last night that was, right? Had a no, sorry, it was Devin Williams. It was actually it was the maybe the one thing that Devin Williams did that gets lost in some of uh, what got away from him in the third game of this series. 
he got the big out on, on Cedric Mullins, which was really, really important, particularly when it started to feed around to the top of the order. Uh, with Mullins, I think, and good players in general, you would start to adjust and give them less to hit. But unfortunately, they kept getting themselves in situations. So the best way to, to say like how you should approach this in a series against a team like Baltimore is, you know, do your job against the lesser like players in the lineup. So when yeah. Mullins is getting to the plate, he's There's got no less of a chance to, to do yeah. damage. Sure. But I think don't give him a grand slam is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, he comes up with the bases loaded here against Lauer. Lauer hits a grand slam in the second. And then uh, in game three, I think that played appearance with Devin Williams where he did get a strikeout. He uh, The bases were loaded or the runners on first and second. Like there were, there was a situation where you were forced to pitch to him. And so, you know, if he's coming up with the bases empty, maybe you kind of uh, – work around the plate, hope that he gets himself out by, you know, getting a little too aggressive when you're not necessarily giving him something to work with. Um, so, yeah, they just did themselves no favors uh, because of the situations where Mullins kept finding himself. But, yeah, he's because, a, he's a heck of, of a player. Because of walks is the, the thing I guess yeah. we'll get on to in a second about that. Because of walks. He's, he's a heck of a player, uh, a guy that maybe the casual baseball fan doesn't know because who's watching a lot of Baltimore Orioles games in 2022, but he's he's awesome couple of nice um, uh, defensive plays from two worth pointing out. Like he was, he was getting his, his work done on both sides of the ball. He was. Uh, so his grand slam made it four, two in the second. Uh, and, and the Brewers, you know, they're finding their ways to manufacture runs. Willie Adamas leads off the third with a walk. Uh, Rowdy reaches on an insane error to score Adamas ground ball back to the pitcher. The pitcher kind of spikes it. Rowdy has to do this kind of acrobatic jump over the first baseman. And the, the great part about that, now it might've called, called interference or, or something had he not touched the base, but Rowdy manages to like land with his back foot, just grazing the base mm-hmm. so that, you know, all is well and good just in case it's a situation where they want to come and say you missed first base, but that was an interesting play. I encourage you to go uh, look it up on MLB.com or YouTube. If you can find it, it was, a, it was quite something. And then uh, Hunter Renfro, uh, big double to score Rowdy, make it four, four, uh, one, one part of the game that did impress me about Lauer, uh, Trey Mancini led off the double or the third with a double and like Lauer was in a jam. It looked like it could have get away with him. He, gets out of the inning with back-to-back strikeouts and uh, ended his day four and a third innings pitch, five Ks, three hits, two walks, four runs. Three of them were earned because I think one of the base runners reached via catcher's interference. Not his best outing, but, um, you know, he kept the Brewers in the game and we didn't end up with a 9 nothing situation like in the uh, game that shall not be named. There's a, uh, there's a moment j- in this game that I'm obliged to ask you about because I know uh, my Women's Six podcast co-host and friend Jordan Tresky has been eager for this conversation to happen for the moment. Uh, it was decided that I was going to be doing a baseball podcast. I was kindly alerted as well by Twitter on Twitter at the time that this had occurred by someone. So there was a balk in this game, which is the first one I've seen. And... I promised Jordan I would not look up what, what it was until I got to see one happen in real time. And my feeling was this was actually maybe even a little bit weirder than the average. Like it, this was a twitch of the shoulder. There is no, I, there, I can't remember what other game I'd seen. There was, there was a box somewhere else, maybe the same night around the league, uh, which was much more obvious, much more pronounced. 
But explain to me the, I don't know, the workings of when the umpires are seeing the slightest twitch in a shoulder. Like, it's basically before motion started. I would be hard-pressed to call it a hesitation when they actually showed the replay on the Bally Sports Wisconsin. They were like, I think it's shoulder moved. There's, there's not a whole lot there. So those kind of decisions and what goes into that, this was definitely suitably weird as I had been promised it, it was. Yeah, uh, that one was baffling for me as well. I'll say I don't, I, I clearly yeah, am not okay. as enamored by my box as uh, other people in your life. No, <laughs> no disrespect. Um, you know, most of the time in these situations, it's a pitcher throwing to a base without yes. coming off the rubber or their momentum's carried home and then they kind of shift and and throw towards the base and so it's like deceiving the runner into thinking you're throwing a pitch i will say that left-handers basically can get away with at- balking by definition just because of the nature of where their body faces uh first base when they throw their pickoff move that's why a lot of left-handers with good pickoff moves uh they might be referred to as their balk move uh so it's kind of uh it's kind of a wiggly definition for lack of a better word. And uh, like you said, you can see a situation like this and be like, was that a ball? And then a left-hander you're, you well, what, 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 is, his... what do you say in that situation? I don't think you're going to have an answer for me because here is a weird one, but really, if we're looking at what's happening in the game, like what, what's the offense there? What is it doing to anyone? Um, it, 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 that had no bearing on any, like I, any aspect of the game. I can't remember which brewer was was at the plate at the time. They weren't they weren't faked out. They weren't like, oh, he's about to pitch, and oh no, he stopped. Like I, it amazed me. All oh, like there was all the three umpires immediately were like, I was like, wow, that's because uh, maybe umpires of the discussion we'll have at some other point a separate time. We we saw some some interesting uh, calls of games. I can't remember which game in the series it was where. I don't know. The plate was like <laughs> the it was tiny. There was no room anywhere. The amount of things that were just clearly in that were being ruled out. Obviously, the it was also tiny until it wasn't in that game. Yes, and uh, late on. And as I said to you, the, the one thing that okay, and I guess this is a general thing. It's for the players, for the fans. As long as the umpire establishes what the plate looks like on a given night and it remains consistent to that there can at least be a level of understanding. Players can try to adjust to it. Fans can uh, do their best to realign their expectations with how it's being called. But I, I think it was the first game where it was just nothing was in until everything was in. And you're like, I just, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see if there's signals every time to actually know what the call is. And a small strike zone is not what we, we need right now. <laughs> as we not. look to get those walk numbers down. Uh, I saw a tweet last night. I, I think it was um, from a one of the writers at review, reviewing the brew, who said that at that at that point, I think there were a few other games to finish. The Washington Nationals led the league and walked with thirty four, and the Brewers were second at thirty two. So we want consistent strike zones until we figure this out. Uh, as you mentioned, Jake Cousins had had some nice moments and some some scary moments in this game. One and a third innings pitch, three strikeouts, and a walk. Um, it's it's clear that Council is going to try and use him as a multi-inning guy as well. Um, I still have faith in Jake Cousins just because... He had a couple of nasty I mean, pitches in that game. Like, his slider is like a Frisbee. Yeah. Like, I don't... 
I don't know how you hit it. He's going to be a pitching ninja favorite this year for his uh, his sliders when they're when they're working nicely. Uh, Craig Council got into a bit of a, a chess match with uh, Brandon Hyde in the the fifth inning or the sixth inning of this game uh, when Cousins was in the game. He uh, removed Cousins uh, when Rugned Odor was now announced it. Brought in Hobie Milner and then Brandon Hyde countered by bringing in uh, Jorge Mateo. Hobie Milner retired Mateo on a sharp ground ball to uh, Willie Adamas. So no harm done. Um, at the business end of this game, uh, again, the the Brewers manufacture runs. Who needs home runs when you've got Willie Adamas, who doubled in, in the seventh? Yeah, let's ground out, moved him to third with two outs. And then Andrew McCutcheon with a clutch single to make it five for Brewers in the seventh. Brad Boxberger works a scoreless seventh after allowing – uh, a single, two nice live line drive catches by Willie Adamas, who just continues to be a fave of the podcast and just one of the most reliable brewers in the team. Um, Adam, we'll we'll go through this quickly because you know we've got some ground to cover. But the the, the most exciting moment of this game came in the um, the bottom of the eighth inning with with Devin Williams showing why uh, he is the most exciting high wire act in baseball. Uh, he loaded the bases with two walks and a single. And Adam, describe how you felt when what occurred occurred. Oh, I mean, by the end of it, I was in awe because to be able to maintain composure, like it was all falling apart. You're just at that point, you're waiting. Your eyes are on the scoreboard and you're like, it's just a matter of moments before that score just starts turning over and turning over. And we're seeing runs clock up for the Orioles. And from having very little control, I mean, getting like way, way behind on the count, like trio counts and he's trying to make stuff happen, which is just, that's impossible. I, I don't see if, if that's going to be how every time, every kind of time someone steps up to the plate, if you're giving them, them that kind of head start, I, I don't know how that's sustainable. Uh, I guess it's fair to say, given what later happened in game three of this series, that it's not sustainable. But on this occasion, Devin Williams came up with the goods. The airbender came out and a couple of like big boy strikeouts, you know, just absolute nails. Um, Really, really impressive. And honestly, a lot of fun, like very, very stressful but the payoff of that is very satisfying and a lot of fun. Like it's, it's must watch one way or another. I think again, I've said it the last few episodes, but once you get to that stage in the game, I think particularly when you've got the A team of the bullpen guys, which is when you're going to go box burger, which is generally just, you know, taking care of business with fastballs and being really solid and setting the table for Devin Williams and Hayter to come in and dirt to be fireworks one way or another. But once you get that with the Brewers, it's it's guaranteed to be entertaining. These games are not generally fizzling out late on, would be my feedback so far. Absolutely. I mean, it, it was insane. Like, I posted this in the Discord, but this was like the embodiment of the call the ambulance, but not for me <laughs> meme. Because yeah, Devin Williams just comes out, bases loaded, no big deal, strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. Chris, Chris Hook came to the mound with the bases loaded, and... You know, him and Devin just had a conversation, and I'm sure it was like, all right, I'm going to strike these guys out now. Chris Hook was like, all right, go back to the dugout. I'm, I'm just going to assume that's how it went. Um, 
to close things down, Millersville, Maryland native Josh Hader came out in the ninth. Uh, a leadoff double to that guy again, Cedric Mullins, uh, and then a walk to which make was, things which interesting. Which was the one that hit the fence, like very, very it, close to being a game. I thought it was out off the bat. I really did. Um, great player. Uh, it seems like we have one guy that just comes out and impresses the hell out of us on the other team each series. The first one, it was Sia Suzuki. This time, it was Cedric Mullins. Uh, but Hayter would, would close things down to get the 5-4 win. Um, an interesting thing about this game, and I think uh, anyone with a subscription to The Athletic, uh, go read Will Salmon's piece about this, but Hobie Milner, uh, the left-handed reliever who came in for one batter, got got the out on the ground ball to Adamas, uh, had come into that game. I mean, he's a veteran. He's 31 years old, um, six-year uh, big league career, 95 appearances. He had never had a decision. He was O and O for his career. And then he comes in and for that one batter, one of the quirks of baseball uh, scoring, got the win. So it a great day for Hobie Milner. I saw the pictures that they posted with him getting the scorecard. Uh, one of those cool, quirky baseball moments. Moving on to game three, which was last night. Uh, Adam, the, the, the guys had a chance to get the series win. Uh, it was another Burns Day, which is a holiday now in my household. Um, and we got the Corbin Burns that we expected to see this season. This was a, a situation where, you know, the Brewers needed a, a good performance to to help out the bullpen if they could. Needed something to just show the fans and the team in general that uh, this season is going to look like we expected it to look. And Corbin Burns came out and and did that just that we saw a little bit more of uh craig council's um platooning uh this time instead of rowdy tellez coming out of the lineup uh colton wong got a day off and kesson Kura played at second base um adam i know you you uh recently caught up on this game was there anything that stood out to you from kind of uh the process of this game that you wanted to touch on early or, or shall I go through the kind of nuts and bolts? I, I think you can go through the nuts and bolts. I mean, it's a testament to Corbin Burns that I think the real standout elements of this game, things that we probably would like to talk about first come late on when he's out of the game, um, which in its own right is that's, that's Corbin Burns has done his job. Um, we can point to that. It's nice to see after having two runs in the first inning the night before, two runs in the second inning this time, if they could get into a habit of at least getting early runs. If you're not going to score many, getting some early is a good habit to get into. Um, but yeah, I think we can we can kind of work our way through it and then get to some of I the, do, the key moments. I do want to pat ourselves on the back because even though we... Uh had this conversation at the beginning of this podcast knowing full well what happened today we've been having this conversation in private for the last week so it's fine but here came the the to fruition our platoon for whoever you want just keep rowdy in the lineup situation because rowdy against the left-handed pitcher john means uh had a big double with two outs uh after a Keston hero walk uh to score the first run of the game so Hero walks in the second. Rowdy double scores him. Mike Brasso, uh, who is starting for Jace Peterson and part of this mixing and matching, single scores Rowdy. Brewers have a two nothing lead in the second, and leads are good, Adam. We, sure. we don't always we don't always want to see uh, the team playing from behind, 
Uh, I'd, I'd personally rather never see that. If they could just lead all the time, that would be great. Absolutely. Um, and after that, the bats kind of went cold for, for quite a while. Uh, there were so many ground outs. I lost track of this of was how a many very quick were. game, Andrew, because of that. Like I was I was stunned. I was trying to not watch this game live. And as you know, I ended up watching the end of this game live in part because I checked the score at one point and thought, oh, it's probably like the fourth inning. <laughs> and it was the seventh inning because the Brewers had kind of taken four innings off offensively. Yeah, and I, I kept thinking, okay, there's going to be a big inning here. Uh, John Means, the Orioles starter, who's uh, probably their ace, goes four innings, 51 pitches and left due to uh, left forearm tightness, which a lot of times is like kind of a scary diagnosis because it leads to like – uh, the big joke, running joke a few years ago was like anytime someone leaves with left forearm tight or forearm tightness in their pitching ha- uh, arm in a spring training game, then you're going to hear two days later that they need Tommy John surgery. So I hope that's not the case for Means. But I kept thinking, all right, Means is out of the game early. They're going to have to go to the pen. Uh, the Brewers are about to break this game open, and it, it just didn't happen. It was just kind of a weird night. Just balls in play, but uh, not doing doing much to – to get uh, runs home and get runners on even um, Burns went seven innings, three hits, one walk, eight strikeouts. His last action of the night was particularly exciting because we got to see something that we talked about in spring training, uh, which was Hunter Renfro's arm uh, with a runner on first and one out uh, kind of a little looping fly ball line drive into shallow right or mid right. Uh, Hunter Renfro comes in, makes a running catch, and then makes an off-balance throw to double off the runner at first base. Basically, uh, like, as close to one motion as you can have from catch to throw as possible there. And to do that, as you said, off-balance, and then to just absolutely, like, flame one in, because there was there was no time to waste on that. Very impressive. His arm is pretty, pretty standout. Yeah, and you know, despite his struggles with the bat to start this season, I think Renfro is going to be a guy that makes a positive impact for the Brewers. Uh, he did so with the bat in the series, but also you can see just like a, a a small moment of brilliance just to like eliminate any threat of that inning going away. I think Burns had it regardless. There would have been two outs of that situation, but there's a runner on first base. Who knows what can happen? You know, one swing can change baseball games. And uh, Renfro said, "Nope, we're going to the dugout." I mean, he, uh, where- he, had, he had the RBI in the game before as well. I, I do think, I mean, I don't think his numbers probably look great overall because it was a long time, I feel like, even before he got a hit to start out the season. There was nothing from him with the bat against the Cubs. Uh, but positive signs here, and I think worth highlighting um, because it was particularly crucial in the later runs, he powered his way around the bases for a pretty big guy. Um, to get home for the run that he did. I'm trying to remember who who was that hit him in for that one. It's a Rowdy? Uh, that was uh, Colton Wong. It was Colton Wong, correct. Um, to, get, to get in from first, not a small feat for Hunter Renfro. I certainly wouldn't mean backing him to do that, but he could move like he... <laughs> When it really mattered, he was able to move around the bases and get home in time for the run. So that's that's also something that I guess it's the kind of thing that we don't really and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time because it's it's just part and parcel. But he is not a guy that I expected when Wong hit that to get from first base all the way home. 
and basically he, what he we're moved for it. If we're so basically what we're saying is if the Milwaukee Brewers ever decide to become a football team, we're gonna have a tough time deciding whether Renfro is our quarterback or our tight end. Like he's he's either gonna be our playmaking tight end or he's gonna be our quarterback. Uh, we'll see we'll see how it shakes out. Um, Devin Williams, as you mentioned before, came on to pitch the eighth again after after a stressful night in game two that he showed off a moment of brilliance or three moments of brilliance, I'll say with with the back-to-back-to-back strikeouts, allowed a leadoff single to Jorge Mateo, uh, walked a man to put a runner on, struck out Mullins, which was a a huge strikeout despite how the rest of the inning would go. Then Ryan Mountcastle singled home a run, leaving runners on the corners with one out. He hits Anthony Santander. Bases loaded for Trey Mancini. Brad Boxberger comes in. A sack fly scores McKinnon to make it 2-2. Then Box strikes out Urias to get out of the inning. Both runs charged to Williams um, from beat writer Adam McAlvey, uh, Craig Council's quote, uh, Council said, I think he got a little tired tonight, so we'll probably have to give him a couple days off here, but we kind of knew that would be the case if we used him tonight. He was probably a little tired by the end of the outing for sure, and I think that was definitely the case. I mean, Case, that was case said high... he was a little tired by the beginning of the outing, like his velocity was way down from the night before. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. That's one I'd question. I'm still getting used to the patterns, particularly with bull, bullpen guys, of how often you're going to play them. So when it's shaping up the way it is, and obviously the situation is dictating, sure, you'd like him and Hayter back in. But I was like, okay, they're going to do that for Williams in particular when he came in. Like, he did not look like he looked the night before. I, I think he was like, didn't, didn't he throw some like high 98 fastballs on whatever night he was, was. He, he was getting up to 96 earlier in the season he, he was he was higher even than he had been a year ago was that was the note at the time and then last night he was quite a bit down you're you're talking five six miles per hour down so maybe maybe he shouldn't have been there to begin with hindsight yeah, is I'm, our friend on that but yeah if you're if he's throwing um clean 10 to 15 pitch innings and then coming back on the next night i think that's one thing but he he worked hard in game in game two. So if if this had been a situation to bring in Boxberger or or Suter or someone just to give him the night, I think it would have made sense. But like you said, hindsight's twenty twenty. Dan Williams is a great pitcher, and you and you want to use him in that situation if if at all possible. Um, but Boxberger did get them out of the inning at two two, kept him in the game. That man again, Hunter Renfro, after the great play in the seventh. Uh, did something with the bat. That's uh, he singled to get on in the night. That broken bat, Colton Wong triple scored him um, during that great display of base running you mentioned. And then Rowdy Tellez, two out double scores. Colton Wong makes it four two Brewers. Um, Hater comes in in the ninth, walks the leadoff man, pop out to Adamas. Uh, a line drive off Rowdy's glove for out number two, where he kind of batted it down like he was a hockey goalie, and then got the force out at second base that's kind of an underrated rowdy moment that was uh great and then a fly out to yelich that was you know kind of hit pretty hard ends it four two brewers win they win the series two one move to three and three on the season heading into the home opener tonight against the st louis cardinals uh you know quality of the opponent is not necessarily the best but you want to win series in baseball if you can take two out of three every series you're doing something right so they're starting to build the good trends uh heading into uh finally getting the home sweet home so and um, the, the offense is still not where we want it to be, but it's getting better. Uh, the pitching is certainly better than it was in terms of first starts for Corbin Burns. 
that's a trend we absolutely hope is going to continue. That Brandon Woodruff does not uh, match or go worse than his first outing of the season. So trends are positive, albeit that it just seems like this is a team that's going to make every game stressful. And you know what, Adam? We're we're along for the ride. This is what I've signed up for. I care very much, and uh, that's, that might not be good for my health, but that's, that's fine. Uh, as we mentioned tonight on 414 day, at 414 for the first pitch, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals come to town, Adam Wainwright versus Brandon Woodruff. Uh, on Friday night, we've got Miles Nicholas against Freddie Peralta. On Saturday, who's in town? Still those Cardinals. This is a long mm-hmm. series. we got a four-gamer four coming up. Steven Matz versus Adrian Hauser. And then on Sunday, as we mentioned, Aaron Ashby is going to get the start, um, his first start of the season after an impressive uh, start out of the bullpen. And if the MLB app is letting me down again, it looks like the Cardinals have yet to name a starter for that Sunday game. It's letting you down again. They've named Dakota Hudson as the starter for that game. Well, you know what? Rob Manfred is canceled uh, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> yeah, I don't think for- you were the first person to come up with that opinion. <laughs> how could someone say something yet so daring yet so brave uh it's me but yeah looking forward to that series uh two out of three series to start the season against nl central opponents and this time it, it figures to be the team that will give the brewers the most competition in the division uh so exciting times all around and like i said earlier and like you said earlier we get to watch game one all together if you're in the discord so Come check us out on playback. For sure. Make sure you do that. Um, you can, as I mentioned, send a screenshot of you listening to our podcast or it's on your phone, desktop, whatever it might be. You can send it to me on Twitter at AdamMcGee11. You can send it to our account, Cruising for a Bruising, which is at Brewers GSPN. Or if you want to send it to Andrew Eider at AC Snide, do that and we'll do our best to get you in in time for uh, this evening's game. As soon as as soon as possible, you know. So you might be listening last minute, so I'll I'll try to keep an eye out. But the the sooner any of you can uh, can do that, who want to watch the game with tonight, make sure you do. Uh, one last thing, one last thing, which is a suggestion from the Discord, where there, we have a Brewers channel. There's Brewers chat throughout games. Andrew's becoming plenty active in there. So aside from watching along with us tonight via playback, if you just want somewhere where you can go and talk to Brewers fans or other Wisconsin sports fans. Particularly the NBA playoffs about to begin a vibrant books uh, group chat in there. But one of the suggestions that came to us from the Discord was to do something in the vein of what our friends at the Eurostep have done for the books for the past couple of seasons, which is they have had a fictional Eurostep stock market where after every game in their case, They'll pick out a couple of standout performers and they'll give them a stock up and stock down. They track it over the course of the season and people can get involved in what the overall outlook looks like. This was suggested to us that it might be fun to do something similar for the Brewers. So we have come up with our own version of this. Um, the way this is, will work is when we've podcast the end of a series, we'll talk through it like we're about to now on the pod more generally, there will always be a post that will go out at the end of the series. Either myself or Andrew will write it and it will go out on our Substack, gspn.substack.com. You can subscribe there. You can just go and visit it online as a website if you like. If you subscribe, all of our posts, our podcasts will go directly to your, your mailbox. You'll also get any of the Milwaukee Books content that goes there too. But what I am introducing now, Andrew, is 
the Master Brewer leaderboard. We've got a whole bunch of contenders. By the end of the season, one of these players is going to ascend to the rank of Master Brewer. Beginning with the Cubs series, we're going to use, we had a mailbag question. We were asked for MVPs of that particular series. We settled on a joint MVP, those players being Reddy Taz and Willie Adams. So let's count that as one, one Stein of beer each for them in what will be our ranking season over the course of the year. See who will be Master Brewer. So I think to to go through our process on this, I don't think we want to give these away cheaply at any point. There may be times where we're like, you know what? There are three, four, five guys who deserve it. There may be times where no one deserves to get a boost in this particular race. Let's work through for the Orioles series, series that ultimately the Brewers won, what direction we want to go in this. So in our brief conversation we had ahead of recording, it seems like we're in agreement that for the second consecutive series, Ready Tellez is on the up. So are we going to name him as, as one of our, one of our players on the rise coming out of the series? I, I think we almost have to, to go to again, or I'm going to make the case for another player, Adam pitching and starting pitching has, has been an issue for the brewers to start the year. And in the final game of this series, we got a standout performance from Cor- Corbin Burns. As we mentioned before, seven innings, three hits, one walk, eight strikeouts, no runs. Corbin Burns looked like the NL Cy Young winner that he is in a time where the Brewers' bats weren't necessarily uh, awake yet. So he kept that game 2 nothing the entire game. They, they would eventually relinquish the lead, but I shudder to imagine what would have happened had the Orioles had a few runs to that point, but Corbin Burns didn't let that happen. So for me, it's Burns or it's Rowdy Tellez. Um, I don't mind giving out two again. No, I, I don't. I don't mind giving it two. There, there may be a case of a tree. I mean, they won the series. Um, I, I'm, I'm fine with both those guys. So those two are starters. Let's go true, and we can decide: is anyone else clear of the pack here to deserve being in the mix? Of those two guys, or are we going to finish with them? Some names that jump to mind for me. Josh Hader, close out two games, look dialed in, really, really good. Back in home state of Maryland, big friends and family there. So uh, an even higher pressure, I guess, situation for him. I thought Josh Hader was really good. And he, in essence, I mean, two saves. He did as much as any brewer to ensure that this was a winning trip to Baltimore. He would be someone I'd put out there. Uh, Willie Adamez, maybe a quieter game tree hurts him in, in these stakes, but reliable offense, as we've seen, equally reliable defensively. A couple of really nice defensive plays. I think it was in game two in particular. Um, he's just, I feel like, always going to be in the mix when we have these conversations. Chris Yelich getting on base. We haven't seen anything explosive, but a lot of the runs that the Brewers have managed to get, he is the tank, whether it's his patience and being able to to get on base via walks, or if it is the ability to hit singles, doubles. Kutch had an orb, uh, had three RBI in the second game, right? Two hits, three RBI, um, both to the left corner, which is, seems like a very reliable spot for him. Um, Hunter Renfro, I who think- mentioned his his cannon arm, starting to hit the ball a bit. He's had a couple of big hits in the last two games that again have come at important junctures and helped. The Brewers to gain some runs. They're 
there's some other names I'll throw in the mix if any of them feel like they stand out from the crowd or if you have any others you feel should be considered. No, I think that's the group. Uh, I think that's that's a solid group for consideration. If uh, if Ashby had gotten more time in this series, perhaps he would be up for discussion. But you know, he just had the the appearance in game. Box, Boxberger One, probably uh, not too far out either. Yeah, Boxberger uh, keeping keeping last night's game manageable um, was huge in my opinion. Like that could have really gotten away. Um, no, I think that's a, that's a good group. Um, you know, Renfro and games two and three really starting to hit and then that outstanding play in the field. Um, I'm good with that group. If we want to, if we want to be really like hard, I, I wish I had, I, I think I I've got specific... one. I think I've got one. I think there's one what? other player from that group that we should add along with Reality okay. and Corbin Burns. I, I think it's Josh Hader. Yeah, let's add. I agree. If we're, we're keeping this to, like it need it needs to be you know we're not giving these things uh, out for free. Yeah, it needs to be high achievements. I think Hater Burns Telez is is the locked in group for this series. Okay, we'll have a little bit more on that when the podcast post goes out in Substack, and we will keep a running tally of that so you can track it as the season goes on to see. I guess who are the star performers or maybe even just some of the more consistent performers or the other names that jump out and I guess get a lot of attention. But something with this is you may be able to kind of spot trends of players who series to series are just consistently producing. I mean, that's been Rowdy Tellez so far. Willie Adames too, although he probably just missed out on this occasion. Like those kind of players maybe will thrive even more in this kind of exercise, but we'll, we'll do it over the course of the season. We'll, have it all, we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, I think that's that's pretty much it for us for now. We will see. We may get another episode in from Andrew and I in the next few days, depending how things go with the Cardinals. Um, then there'll be a slight change of pace next week. What we'll do is I have a, a, a baseball episode from the archives, which there's a, a little bit of a surprise there for it that I'm, I'm going to take a look and I'll probably repurpose, get out in the feed to fill a gap for us. It'll be myself, Andrew, and our friend and fellow GSPN host, Jordan Tresky. Um, more on that at the time. I might, maybe in around the time the, the Pittsburgh series ends, maybe I'll, I'll see if I get someone to come and join me for an episode because Andrew's off to the UK for a week. Yes. Big week coming. Uh, big sports week coming for you. Yeah. Uh, I'll touch on this a little bit just so everyone gets to know a little bit more about me. Uh, in addition to being a baseball, big baseball fan, big uh, soccer fan. So big Liverpool fan more specifically. So going to the UK, going to the FA Cup semifinal on Sunday between Crystal Palace and Chelsea, going to Liverpool, Manchester United on Tuesday, Manchester City, Brighton on Wednesday. And then finishing it off with Liverpool Everton on the following Sunday. And then I'm back. And then it's Brewers for the rest of the Brewers year. Brewers all the way. Yeah. Um, Andrew has been, you know, self-flagellating over the fact that before he suggested we start a podcast, he had what well, is something of a dream trip booked, stressing over the fact that he he's gonna miss Brewers games, although he's not. He's like the first thing he's gonna be doing is watching condensed games, he's gonna be checking up on everything. He was trying to bring the microphone. I thought he should. Just go enjoy this trip. So um, we'll we'll have, I would say, we'll have one episode for sure next week, maybe a couple more. 
Um, I will send out some posts on Substack, gspn.substack.com. Um, at the end of the series, as we progress with our Master Brewer leaderboard, and then normal service will be resumed. But to make sure you don't miss an episode with things maybe being a little bit more unpredictable over the next seven to 10 days, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Cruising for a Bruising. We should be on pretty much all platforms at this point. If by some chance you're listening to us, you're looking to subscribe and on your platform of choice, we're not there, get in touch. You can you can contact either of us on Twitter, as I mentioned, at Brewers GSPN. It's the Cruising for a Bruising account. I'm at Adam McGee 11 Andrew's at AC Snide. Um, you should also... Follow, subscribe to the Eurostep Podcast Network, our, our larger home. The main feed there is all books content, NBA playoffs, I guess technically underway with playing games, but beginning for real for the books on Sunday against the Chicago Bulls. Andrew is now fully on board with, you know, turning his back on all things Chicago um, after, after the Cubs series. So big Milwaukee-Chicago week coming up on that front. We'll have tons of coverage. I'll be on a lot of it. Whether you want to watch YouTube videos, post-game podcasts, we'll have some live playbacks. There'll be some YouTube live shows. There'll be podcasts everywhere. There'll be so much. If you're interested in the books too, Eurostep Podcast Network, that's where you'll get it all. And I think that's that's pretty much it. One last thing I will, I will uh, announce here, which this is even a little, it's, it's going to have another kind of full announcement later. So this is a little sneak peek for Cruiser for Brews and listeners. Um, the Eurostep Podcast Network, we have a merch store. People have been asking us for quite some time across different podcasts. When are you going to have stuff available? I want to get a t-shirt. I want to get a mug, whatever it might be. We have a full range up on gspnstore.com from all the podcasts, including our particularly spiffy new look. I hope people like our, our official look. It's now in. Um, it, we added it just after we finished recording our last episode so if you haven't been paying attention go look at your screen right now and just look at that dashing logo of ours if you'd like to pick up any merch and support the pod there's plenty of it there with it on it gspnstore.com and true to april 30th we have a promo going promo playoffs 22 that's the code that you use at checkout that will get you 22 percent off your orders true 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 to april 30th that covers everything Andrew can't think of anything else so as always thanks to all of you for listening thank you Andrew thanks Adam when you make decisions for your company you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. 
Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.